Hello, welcome to Whip Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Elle Kammerer, and we're going to talk about Northanger Abbey today. But first, we have a little special message from our friends at What Would Danbury Do? From the books to the hit Netflix series, What Would Danbury Do? brings you three friends who can't get enough of the Bridgerton universe. They really work to make you buy into the idea that the only kind of social privilege that exists is gendered. Whether you're looking for cultural critiques. Like, this is the sort of thing that I think of when I think about the female gaze. Neologisms. It was magnificent. Or intertextuality. There's a beautiful Tessida tweet that suggests there must be some incredible angsty fanfic about Mpreg Simon. Join us to find out what would Damry do? So today, Northanger Abbey, chapters five through eight. Yes. And I believe I have the super duper quick recap. You do. Thank goodness, because I don't even remember what I read. <laughs> okay, well, here we go. It's pretty, pretty simple, because okay. these chapters are pretty short. They are. The book is pretty short. Mm-hmm. And they kind of fit everything in nice and neat, as opposed to some of the other books we've read. Emma. <coughs> Emma. <laughs> so, in these chapters, the beginning is pretty much just Austin commentating about people's opinions of novels. <laughs> And the fact that people find them silly and ridiculous, and we are definitely going to jump into that a little bit. Uh, But after Austin gets all of that off of her chest, Mm -hmm. we have Catherine and Isabella. They are becoming fast friends. They're spending a lot of time together. They're reading novels. They're reading specifically Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. And it's a gothic novel. And they're super excited. And Isabella is actually even more excited that Catherine really likes this because Isabella has a whole list of other gothic novels for her to read. Like, they're really into the, like, spooky stuff. Now, Isabella and Catherine are having lunch together. And Isabella is all of a sudden like, oh, those two guys over there, they've totally been, like, looking at us for, like, the last half hour. They're creepy. And, like, I remember thinking, hmm, that's weird that you just are all of a sudden finding these men creepy. Do you think it's because you've been reading too many gothic novels? Which we'll kind of bring that up again when we talk about Austin's rant, but that's not the point. So Catherine and Isabella leave. And as they are heading off to find Isabella's new hat, they come across, of all people, their brothers come into town to hang out. So we have Mr. James Moreland and Mr. John Thorpe. They are BFFs. I believe they went to school together. Mm-hmm. They've come to hang out. And Isabella and James totally hit it off right off the bat. I believe they've met before. And they're mm-hmm. just like walking and talking and chilling and everything's cool. Uh, poor Catherine is stuck <laughs> with John Thorpe, who <laughs> will not stop talking about his horse and his, is it a jib? A jig. Jig. His horse and his jig. And I feel so bad for this woman because seriously, I could not handle this man. He's just, I would just be like, will you please shut up? Or maybe it's pronounced gig. Sorry. It's probably pronounced gig. G-I-G. So that's gig. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's annoying and I feel bad for this man's horse. Catherine and the gang all go to a dance and Catherine is 
supposed to dance with John for the first two dances, which she does. But lo and behold, guess who arrives at the dance but Mr. Tilney. And she's so excited because he's her bae. Uh, except he doesn't know it. And uh, she really wants to dance with him. But because she was always already promised to dance with John, she misses her opportunity. And she misses her opportunity for a majority of the evening. But she does end up meeting his sister. So progress? I don't really know. But that's what happens in these chapters. Yay! Yay! So... Where do you want to dive in first? Do we want to just dive let's in with Austin? Let's go in Austin? order. Yeah, let's okay. just go right in order of the events because while you have opinions on these books, I have opinions about Isabella and James and I have opinions about Mr. Thorpe hardcore. So let's start with Austin and her discussion of novels. Okay, so as we know, like this book was one of Austin's earliest books and it's a play on different types of novels at the time. So the mm-hmm. sentimental novel and the gothic novel. We know this. Well, at the time of this being written, novels weren't really that old. Novels were pretty much invented in the 18th century, so the 1700s, and kind of more towards the late end of that century. And I know that that's re- a really weird concept to think of, that like... Yeah. The novel has only been around since the late 1700s, but the novel in the way that we think of it and we see it and we read it today, yeah, didn't really come across most other things, at least, I will say this, in English canon. Yes. <laughs> I, yes, I that's an important worldwide. Dis- yes, yes sorry. that's an important <laughs> distinction. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. I am speaking specifically of English canon because yeah. I'm pretty sure that uh, there are other cultures who created things more akin to the novel before that but in For english sure. canon specifically yeah the english didn't, didn't didn't create the novel until the 1700s so they're not really that old they're kind of weird i took a class on 18th century lit and they were some of the worst books i've ever read <laughs> So, okay, so here is what I think of when I think of, like, the early novel in terms of English literature. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of, like, equivalent to when Reddit started and, like, people were like, what is this? And they just put on whatever crap they wanted. It didn't matter how right or how wrong it was. Like, people just put stuff on there and people would comment on it and it would just snowball. And that is kind of, like, how <laughs> I feel about really early examples of the novel in English it's almost like people are just writing down the weirdest shit they can think of for shock value and yeah it's like they they didn't quite understand how to tell a story because before this things would be done in play version or in poetry and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so or in um spoken sorry or in oral yeah spoken uh short stories and stuff like that you know but like a, a full length novel that like took place over a longer period of time and we watched these characters move from one time of their lives to another and things like that they weren't quite certain what to do like what to leave out and what to put in and stuff like that so a lot of them actually started off like the main character was born (laughs) (laughs) and then there's like two or three chapters about how crappy their childhood was and then like their like adulthood and then like the actual plot of the story would happen Mm -hmm. so it's just like the first chunk of the novel you didn't need it's all like you don't need it it could have been done in exposition 
and then like the main chunk of the plot is toward the end of the book mm-hmm. a little bit like emma no, um <laughs> sorry what? no it's not it's really not i'm just i'm just talking yeah but yeah so early novels they were a bit of a struggle now there were some that uh still today people talk about that are really important like tristam shandy mm-hmm. uh that's one that's pretty important but I'm not going to lie, they were a bit of a struggle. And apparently, at the time, they were also a bit of a struggle for people. So Austin, in, in, in these sections where she's talking about like how people would... They would think of reading novels as like something really frivolous and yes. something kind of silly. And there's really no point in doing it. Right. And yeah, which, I mean... <laughs> Not gonna lie, certain novels still have that today. Like romance novels, people are just like, Psh, "That's so frivolous. Why are you reading that trash?" Blah 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 blah, which we all know is bullshit. Um, <laughs> but that was that was how all novels were taken back yeah. then. It's like, why are you reading this? And I think also to that point, like at least what we've seen in these pages, and especially if you're following along, sometimes the attribution of people who are reading novels, it's mostly women. Mm-hmm. who are it reading is. novels so it's like kind of a woman's activity and if a man does read a novel it's generally something that even described in these chapters is probably kind of dull probably mm-hmm. is like very like more on the informational side or the sermon type side of things even though it is a novel and it's something that like people regard really highly and we do that still today right yeah, so a lot of the quote-unquote novels that men would read at this time weren't really fiction. Yeah. They were, like, compilations of essays mm-hmm. or collections of poems and critiques of those. Specifically in this book, uh, Austin mentions, like, a book like that that talks about Milton and uh, somebody else I can't remember. But we all know Milton mm-hmm. wrote Paradise Lost, mm-hmm. uh, so the big epic poem. So, like... That book that she was talking about, Austin was talking about, it's pretty much like somebody is writing about Milton and critiquing his work and then the other person who I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, so those were the types of quote unquote books slash novels that men would read. They would also read other things, obviously. Like men were reading, but they weren't reading novels. They were like, oh, agriculture reports. Oh, business stuff. Oh, sermons. Like things that related specifically to them. Well, and even if they were reading things that we would consider, quote unquote, like more fiction or more like literature, again, it was mostly like critiques and essays of things that felt like they held more weight. So like poems of the past, essays of the past, plays of the past. um, Really highbrow stuff. Yeah. So specifically here um, in my handy dandy annotated Northanger Abbey, it comments about like I do think that this is funny. Um, the problem people had with novels back then are the same problem I have with those same novels now. And that is they focused on the poor quality of these novels that were written in the late 1700s. This objection grew especially in the later 18th century because of the poor quality of most novels then compared to some of the noted works of the mid 18th century. So we had novels of the late 18th century were being critiqued or not critiqued they were being compared to 
works, not novels, of the early 18th century. Yeah. So the stuff <laughs> that was written before the novels was better than the novels. Yeah. So people are like, why the hell are we reading this? Like, this is stupid. It's kind of like today where, like, we're getting all these reboots of, like, things that were really popular in the 80s. And it's like, why are we doing this again? It was better during this time. Yes. It's very yes. – that's the vibe. Yeah, yeah. So, like, why would I why would I watch a new Ghostbusters when I can just watch the original Ghostbusters? Exactly. Except the new all-female Ghostbusters kicks ass. I'm not even talking about that one. I'm talking oh. about the new one with the kid from Stranger Things. Okay. I don't know about I that just one. saw – I just saw a preview for it, oh, okay. so that's why that came to mind. But okay. yeah, no, there's a new, new reboot. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, but one of the other, one of the big critiques here is that specifically women weren't the ones reading novels. And what Austin really kind of gets into <laughs> specifically in this book, and I think it even says like the author of this has this opinion, mm -hmm. is that female characters in novels weren't reading novels like female characters in novels would find novels frivolous and she thought that that was really stupid yeah so yeah so she would actually say like writers would condemn novels in their own novels yeah yeah and it's just really stupid uh and apparently if we think back to pride and prejudice Austin raises this issue as well in Pride and Prejudice when she has a foolish and pompous clergyman declare that he never reads novels. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and we can even look here to Mr. Thorpe, who, like, says that he has no time for novels. He thinks they're ridiculous, but he's read XYZ highbrow thing, yeah. but everything mm -hmm. else is ridiculous. And he's portrayed as a ridiculous character as well. Yeah. And like modern day stuff, like I was saying, like people get so much ridicule for like reading, quote unquote, frivolous things like romances and even sometimes YA for like adults to read YA. They're like, why the hell are you doing this? When instead you should be reading the like highbrow, like contemporary, like literate or not lit, like, like oh, modern literature. No, um, literary fiction. Oh, yeah. You should be reading literary fiction. And I'm like, that literary fiction is boring. It is boring. It's so boring. <laughs> I If I'm going to read, I want to be entertained and I want to mm -hmm. be taken on an adventure. And I'm not saying like that all the time because there's a time and a place for other types of books, mm -hmm. obviously. Like I'm a big fan of nonfiction and things like that as well. But most of the time, if I'm reading, I want to go on an adventure. Yeah, and literary fiction feels more like something that's there to make you think. And, like, I get that. And that's it's just not for me. Yeah, but it's also not better than other types of fiction because literary fiction makes you think. Like, I would rather feel and just be transported away to a different place. But, I, yeah, but that's not the point. Point is, you know, people are still ridiculing things today. Yeah. As they were back then. Exactly. Now... One of the other things that was really ridiculed at the time, and this is kind of talked about a little bit, not less so in such obvious ways uh, in this book, it's that people were afraid that women reading novels would then start acting like the heroines in the novels. They It would give so, them ideas and then they'd start thinking. 
Yeah. Well, not even just that. It was like... That was a Beauty and the Beast quote. Sorry, guys. <laughs> when Gaston's like, why are you reading? And like, give you ideas you start thinking. Nope. Okay. How do you read this? There aren't even pictures. <laughs> Essentially, like, they were afraid that, like, women would start, like, being... Or fi- trying to find romance and being sexualized and stuff like that. So, Yeah. That was one of the fears. And I bring this up because of what I said before about Isabella all of a sudden finding these men in, uh, I don't know, are they in like a cafe or a parlor or something? Yeah, they're at um, the pump room. Okay, so this is where we're actually going to get into the actual story part of Mm -hmm. this. So Catherine meets Isabella at the pump room Mm -hmm. and they're sitting there and they're chatting and they're talking about the books that they're reading which are gothic novels so isabella then suddenly starts talking about these men who have supposedly been watching them and how it like she kind of comes off as like oh it's creepy and it's mysterious and like let's like you know kind of like go over here and see what they do blah 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 and the only reason why i bring this up is because of that whole idea of if women read novels, they're going to start doing things that they see in the novels, like in their real life. And I'm starting to think that Isabella is starting to feel like she's living in a gothic novel. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally see that, too. But then also the vibe is, yeah, she is being influenced by these novels and she's like looking for like excitement and that kind of thing in her real life so she attributes Mm -hmm. that to these men but also it's just kind of like the thing where like you're with your girlfriend and you're young and you're like oh my god those guys are checking us out that's so gross let's go walk right in front of them oh my god they're leaving let's (laughs) follow them and see what they're doing they're so gross but like you're really intrigued and you are like clearly into them that's also the vibe i get (laughs) i can see that i can see that but yeah, I was also, my brain just went to, oh my gosh, she's totally trying to pretend like she's in a gothic novel. Yeah. And uh, I do want to talk really quickly before we get more into the actual story of what happens about gothic novels specifically, because like, there's actually a difference depending on what kind of gothic novel you're looking at. So the gothic novel came out of like this growing type of novel, the sentimental novel. The gothic novel also focuses on a quote-unquote heroine in distress. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a sentimental novel, the heroine in distress is all about, like, love and feelings and blah, blah, blah. But gothic novels started to focus on, like, the heroine was threatened by extreme horrors, often actually or apparently supernatural. Uh, the focus was on arousing the reader to a state of acute terror and trepidation, as opposed to just feeling happy or sad for the heroine. Now, the English Gothic novel, which is what Austen is, uh, is what she's making a parody of, is specifically kind of like in reference to like Radcliffe's Mysteries of Udolpho. And the English Gothic novel only implies horrors or suggests the horrors are there. Um, and it kind of like suggests that the, these horrors and these terrors are just within the mind of the heroine. As opposed to German gothic novels of the time to where there was actually scary shit happening. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to read those. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So. 
But yeah, so that's the other reason why I'm thinking that Isabella was trying to be more of like the gothic novel kind of like in real life because it's all like in the head of the heroine. So she's kind of like making it up in her own head. So whether Isabella is doing it like consciously or not, I'm seeing Austin's connections here. So it's like Isabella is seeing these horrors in her head that's not actually there. Well, everything that you're saying is so spot on and it is excellent foreshadowing, but I won't tell you how. You will just have to keep reading to see. But what you're saying, just note this down. It's really good foreshadowing. And as soon as you read that part or get to that section, you'll be like, oh, I know what I know what Katrina's talking about. So, yeah. Well, so I on one hand, I'm kind of glad that I really looked up what like a gothic novel actually is, especially specifically the English gothic novels. Yes. And how like all of this stuff is just supposedly going to be in the main character's head. But at the same time, I'm kind of disappointed because, oh, well, now I know whatever Catherine is going to go through is just in her head. But like the people reading this book at the time would know that. Yeah. So like Austin knew that and stuff. So yeah. So there's there's a difference between the English gothic novel and horror. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. people connect those two. They assume that, oh, because it's a gothic novel, because it's supernatural, it's automatically going to be horror. And that's Mm -hmm. not always the case. No, no. I feel like those German ones that we're talking about. The German ones are straight up horror. horror. That is like where (laughs) horror come from. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we Germans are good with scaring things. Like, we really that, are, like Brothers children. Grimm. <laughs> Specifically to scare children into being yeah. good. Like, that's the yeah, whole yeah. premise of all of those stories, is is to keep children from getting abducted wandering and wandering away and, like, bad things happening to them. Now, is it mm-hmm. good to scare children into that? No, it's not. But that's what is people it? did. No, This is why I'm not, not. going to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not good. It messes people up. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to Northanger Abbey. So Catherine and Isabella are at the pump room. They're talking about these books. And Isabella gets these creepy vibes from these guys. And Catherine's just like, huh, what's what? Because she's so naive. She is. It's adorable. And also painful. (laughs) It's really cute. Um, So yeah, so all of that happens. And then they like kind of start to follow those guys Isabel's like oh let's go look at the hat and now Catherine's like what if we come across those guys and she's like no big deal it's gonna be fine whatever (laughs) and so they're walking they're walking they're going down the main street in Bath which is like notoriously busy it is like essentially 1800s rush hour traffic all the time there's like horses and carts and buggies and coaches and all that stuff going on here because it's a main road that leads to other big major cities Mm-hmm. So they talk about how terrible that is, and as they are coming through trying to cut around it, they are almost run over by this horse and gig. And who is upon it but their brothers? Because who else would run them over other than their brothers? <laughs> like exactly. brothers running sisters over is just a thing. <laughs> That's a thing. Yep. Yeah. So this is where we finally get to meet. Uh, these brothers that were talked about in the previous chapters, because that's kind of a connection that Isabella and Catherine have had, because Isabella has met Catherine's brother, James. Yes. So we get to see this interaction. And also, I think this is one of the first times we really get to see Catherine interacting with her siblings, because the beginning of the book is mostly exposition. Mm -hmm. So, right? Is that the right word? Yep. So James seems like a nice guy. 
Yeah. He loves his sister, Catherine. He Mm -hmm. very clearly likes Isabella, and it's very clear that Isabella likes him. To Mm -hmm. the point where he tells Catherine when they're alone, like, Isabella's great. Isn't she great? Mm -hmm. She's the kind of person I want you to hang out with. Isn't she awesome? She's really awesome. I'm going to marry her. Like, that is, (laughs) that's basically what you get. He doesn't say he's going to do that, but like, you know, that's that's Mm -hmm. what he puts out there. Which Catherine is just like, yeah, cool. Okay. I hang out with her anyway. Yeah. Yep. But let's talk about John. John Thorpe. Oh my God. He's, he's like, uh, he's, I feel like this is the inspiration for Mr. Collins. Not to the degree that Mr. Collins is, but in terms of the annoyance. Like, this is the yeah. inspiration for the annoyance of Mr. Collins. You know, he also reminds me of uh, post marriage Elton. Yeah. Yeah, because he just talks about things that nobody else cares about, like, in nausea. Mm-hmm. Like, so when they arrive, uh, John is like, oh, how many miles do you think it was? Because we left at 11 and we got here at this time and my horse easily goes 10 miles an hour because it's a super fast horse. And so, oh, yeah, it's been 25 miles. And James is like, it was 23 and a half. And John's like, couldn't be, because my horse only goes 10 miles an hour. He doesn't go any slower. How dare my horse go slower? Look at how great of a horse this is. Like, he kind of has a crush on his horse. Yeah. Well, it's not even just that, because the way he talks about his horse and the way he talks about this thing that he is riding in, which he talks about the good deal he got on it. He doesn't say it's Mm -hmm. a good deal, but he doesn't say it's a bad deal. He's, like, trying to make it like he did just Right. He didn't pay too Mm -hmm. much for it, you know, because he, you know, doesn't want to be seen as being somebody who could be taken advantage of. But he also doesn't want to seem cheap. So he's like, but I, you know, it was still like this other guy wanted to buy it for me and he wanted to spend more. So clearly it's not cheap, right? He's trying to like make it seem like he got the best deal. And he talks about it like how a guy today would talk about a Corvette or something. Well, so, and, and actually, so this is kind of funny. It reminds me of this guy that I knew uh, years ago uh, when I was working at a bank. He would come in. He was one of the customers. And he was just like, oh, yeah, I bought this really old Jaguar. This guy was selling it. He needed to get rid of it. I bought it for $1,000. And I'm like, dude, I would give my left leg to buy a Jaguar for $1,000. I currently don't have a working vehicle. How does this happen? And then my friend was like, oh, it's because rich guys know each other. And they're just like oh yeah, I don't really need to make money off of this, so here you go. But anyway, so that's kind of what happened in this case. Yes. So John was walking around like, oh, hey, I need to buy something small that I can like travel in and stuff. So yeah, whatever. And then he comes across his friend on a bridge who's driving around in this gig. And his friend is like, oh, hey, do you want to buy this from me? I don't really need it anymore. It's practically new. I'll give it to you for, what was it, like 50 guineas? 50 guineas, yep. 50 guineas. And John's like, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I probably could have gotten something cheaper. I definitely could have gotten something more expensive. But, you know, it was was good money, good money. And I could have gone and sold it for 60 guineas the next day. And I'm just like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how does this happen? (laughs) Like, why? Why? (laughs) Exactly. But also, fuck you, because seriously, shut up. (laughs) Yeah. No, he talks a lot. He talks a lot about those things. And... Catherine, you know, she's taking it in stride. She's being polite. You know, this is James's BFF. This is her friend's brother. So she's trying to, like, find things because they're walking together now because Isabella Mm -hmm. and James are taking the lead. And 
she's like, okay, well, when that conversation exhausts herself, oh, let me bring up novels. We were just talking about it. What kind of novels do you like? And he's basically like, ugh, novels? Ugh, that's <laughs> women's stuff. But I've mm-hmm. read this, 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 and this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, so we have to remember that Catherine does not have a lot of experience talking to men mm-hmm. uh, just because of where she grew up. There weren't people. So even if she, like, I don't know, she she probably wasn't thinking, oh, hey, this guy is talking about this stuff and I should be annoyed by this. Like, right. you know, like he's like, this isn't a really good conversation. She doesn't really have the knowledge to be like oh yeah this is a crappy conversation i should change the subject or something like that you know she just she just doesn't so she's going along with it yep yeah yeah so they walk in they talk in you wanted to talk about isabella and james yes so it is very clear that isabella likes james and while i didn't want to spoil anything in the first episode um, when Isabella perks up when she hears James's name and how they know it, that's just kind of setting the stage for this is a man she's clearly interested in. Because mm-hmm. the way she talks to him and looks at him is it's almost like claiming him. Like as soon as she sees him, she just kind of like, <laughs> he is mine. Here we go. Mm-hmm. But she does it in a way that's like, we have been friends and we've met each other before. So it's not like in mm-hmm. your face. Mm-hmm. And at first you're thinking, okay, this relationship is probably one-sided. But then by the end of that chapter, as I mentioned before, when James and Catherine leave the Thorpses and they're heading back to the Allens, it's, that's when they're having that conversation about Isabella. And it's very clear that James is interested in her. And mm-hmm. of course he would be. She's very fashionable. She's very with it. She knows how to say just the right things. It makes sense. So let's move on to the ball. Yes, because that leads right into this conversation perfectly. Yeah. So they go to the dance, which mm-hmm. I believe is at the pump room or dance. not the pump room. It's at that same place that it, they, they were dancing before, I believe. I'm not familiar with bath guys. Not that I think many of these places still exist. The but. upper rooms. <laughs> oh, they're in the upper room. So there's the upper rooms, the lower rooms and the pump room. So they're in the upper rooms. There's a dance. There's a dance being held There's a dance. And Catherine has to dance her first two dances with John. (laughs) Yes, because she agreed to dance with him. And this is a man she knows and the only one that isn't her brother in the vicinity that she knows. So that makes sense. It makes sense that she would do that. Yeah. So Isabella and James are dancing together. And they seem to dance most of the dances together because, again, Isabella's kind of like, yoink your mind um and they're just having a good time and uh one of the kind of cute moments that i noticed was uh so isabella and Catherine are normally dancing in like the same group but they got separated and when they finally meet back up isabella wants to like pull Catherine aside and just like chat you know like girl talk and james just keeps like coming over like trying to like listen in like, ooh, what are you guys talking about? Ooh, what are you guys talking about? And Isabella's just like, get away. You're not part of this conversation. What if I was talking about you? Like, come on. Like, get out of here. Shoot. And he's just like a cute little puppy dog. Just yeah. like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? He kind of reminds me a little bit of Bingley. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because he's yeah. near his favorite sister. He's near this yeah. girl that he clearly likes. So, yeah, he wants to know, like, what the goss is with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it's very, com- he feels very comfortable with them. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought was fun. Yeah. Totally. I think it's really important to point out that the reason why Catherine and Isabella are separated there in different sets is because at the beginning of the dance, John Thorpe goes off to talk to people and mm-hmm. he talks to people for a really long time. And Isabella's like, we'll wait, we'll wait for you. And then like five minutes goes by and she's like, oh, your brother just wants to dance with me so bad. I can't keep him waiting. I know you'll understand. And so they go off and like that's mm-hmm. how they get separated. During this time, Catherine is left waiting for Mr. Thorpe to come dance with her. And she's like sitting with Mrs. Thorpe and Mrs. Allen. Mm-hmm. And who walks over but Mr. Tilney, the man she has been looking for these this like whole week. She hasn't run into him yeah. since the first time she's met him. She's like on pins and needles for him. She yeah. sees him and he's walking arm in arm with a very fashionable woman who ends up being his sister. Like Catherine was looking to like looking for him to the point where she was like checking the guest book at the pump room to see mm-hmm. if he had come by. And then she got really super worried that he had left Bath. Well, it turns out he had left Bath. He did leave Bath. But he came back and this time he was with his sister. Yes. So, yeah. And Catherine is like, yay, I can dance with him. It'll be great. And then that doesn't happen. And it's very sad. It is. So Mr. Tilney, of course, notices her. They make their way over. There's like an introduction with a woman that they're with, the sister, and then, you know, Mr. Tilney. Like, they're all like greeting each other. He is like asking her, do you want to go dance? And Mm -hmm. at that moment, Mr. Thorpe decides to come back. And it's like, dude, you you suck you're the worst you talk Mm -hmm. forever about your stupid horse and your stupid gig and then you promise this girl a dance and then you leave her alone for like ever and then the second you come back is when her crush of her dreams is asking her to dance like you suck you suck yeah you fucking suck this is part of that sentimental novel part. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the heroine in distress. Like, she was all like, oh, my God. Like, the whole beginning of this thing, it was like she was in distress because the guy she loved wasn't around. She couldn't find him. Oh, my gosh. It's so sad. Like, are they over? Are they ever going to meet again? And then, like, okay, well, there's this new guy. Okay, maybe everything will be okay. Oh, my goodness. He's back. The love of her life is back. And just at the moment when they're ready to get back together and, like, dance and have a magical moment the new guy comes back and she's just like no society says i still have to dance with him oh no and then he's she's taken away from him and then she doesn't see him again for the rest of the evening yeah so sad because you're left wondering will it ever happen will she see him again is he gonna leave bath again without her knowing yeah sentimentality yeah And you really feel for her in this because not only does she Oh yeah, I'm not saying to, you don't. Oh no. And not <laughs> only does she have to go and dance with this guy she doesn't want to dance with, but she's now in a completely different set from her friend. She's like removed from all the people she knows for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And it is mm-hmm. very frustrating. But during this time, something kind of good happens. It's not as good as like getting to dance with Mr. Tilney, but it's it's you know, it's almost there. And she gets to be introduced to Mr. Tilney's sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that they end up dancing in the same section. So they get to talking a little bit. They get to, you know, know each other a little bit. So, like, she's 
not only making another new connection and another new possible friend, but it's also an in with Mr. Tilney. And it that's exactly is. what we need. And that's giving us the <clears throat> the hope that the the heroine will find her hero again. Yes, exactly. Sorry. No, that's perfect. <laughs> Damn. So like I said, Catherine doesn't get the chance to dance with Mr. Tilney the rest of the evening and she finds him separated. He is dancing with another girl and he then even has tea with her. Mm-hmm. So all signs point to Mr. Tilney might have a new love interest. Yes. Which is very distressing to Catherine. Yeah, she is very upset. It's She's very, very upset. upsetting. Also, because she now has to deal with John Thorpe and that is distressing enough. Yeah. <laughs> And it's interesting because he does invite her to dance again. She's like, hard pass. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was really funny. So so John asks Catherine to dance again. And she's just like, I don't think I'm going to dance again for the rest of the evening. I'm good. Thanks. And my first thought was, what if Henry asks you? <laughs> what is that going to look like? But he ended up not doing it. But yeah, because that, that was my first thought was, girl, you just shot yourself in the foot. <laughs> Yeah, no, because he ends up with the other girl, so there's no really hope there. Yeah, yeah. And God forbid she go around with Mr. Thorpe, basically, like, making fun of his other sisters, not Isabella, the other two, which we forgot to mention at the beginning of this novel. He refers to them as ugly. Like, when he sees them, he's like, oh, Isabella, oh, mother, blah, 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 I'm so great, I love you, mother. What's up, ugly sisters? (laughs) Like, (laughs) he's just, like, the worst. I do recall uh, when we were first introduced to the Thorpe sisters, uh, the two younger ones are considered less beautiful than Isabella, but because they follow her same like beauty regiment essentially, and they dra- dress like her and they try to emulate her, they are considered quite fair and pretty. But then the brother, who of course knows them well, are just like could just be like, oh yeah, hey, what's up, Uggs? Yeah. <laughs> so mean and also like these younger they're younger than her maybe they haven't like quite blossomed or developed Mm -hmm. yet you know they could still be looking relatively young so it's really harsh to make that judgment on them right now like even if they don't like it's still a really harsh thing but because it's such a brotherly thing to do you're just like you excuse it because that's what brothers do they call you ugly (laughs) i mean on one hand, I want to excuse it because he is the brother, but he's also just an asshole, so I don't yeah. want to. No, no, I know. He's, like, so annoying. He's just, like, the worst. If Mr. Tilney were in this situation and where he were, let's just, like, to his younger sisters, hey, what's up, Bugs? I feel like I might, like, find it a little bit more, like, oh, joking brotherly humor because he seems like a really nice guy. But John Thorpe, no, fuck him. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. <laughs> Yeah, so then, of course, like we've mentioned before, these chapters end with uh, James and Catherine having a conversation about how great Isabella is, and both of them agree that she seems to be a pretty good person. Yeah. Yay! And that's where we will end for this week, and we'll take a look at the next few chapters next week. Yeah! So, yeah. I want to get to the point where we are actually at the Northanger Abbey because like we're halfway through the book and we haven't even shown up there yet. <laughs> we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Okay. Well, that is it for us. Go ahead and check out uh, What Would Danbury Do? Our friends in the uh, Frolic Podcast Network that we're part of. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Whip Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer. And me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at witbeyondmeasure.com, or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBMpodcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBMpodcast.